church history is full of um, kind of odd saints. I don't know if you know that or not, but you're in good company. There are people just like you in the history of the church. If you know any of the story of the lives of the saints, you know that sometimes God uses kind of strange individuals. Martin Luther is kind of an example of that, right? Sort of a strange man. But long before Luther, there were other saints. And I want to tell you this morning the story of a saint named Anthony. St. Anthony was one of these peculiar kind of a saints, and his life serves as a, a warning of what might happen if you get to church late. St. Anthony was coming to church one day, and uh, he was think- his parents had recently died, and he had inherited the family farm. And it was a pretty big uh, farm. It was worth quite a bit of money. But as he was going to church, he was pondering uh, what the Lord teaches about money and about wealth. And he showed up in church, and as he came through the doors, he got there when the gospel was being read. Have any of you gotten to church that late? It's almost halfway through the service. He got there when the gospel was being read, and maybe their services were a little different. I'm sure they were different than ours. But he got there late, and the gospel was being read. And the gospel that day was the story of the rich young ruler. And as St. Anthony came in through the doors, he heard Jesus' words Go sell everything that you have and come follow me. And so St. Anthony, getting to church late, didn't hear the context of those words, and he assumed that they were addressed to him. And so he did them. Could you imagine that? St. Anthony went home, he sold all that he had, and he devoted his life to Christ. He became a monk Now, um, I say that's a warning for those of you who might get to church late. I don't really mean it that way because St. Anthony's life was a great life. And if you do that, if that happens to you, well, then God be praised that he works something wonderful in your life. But St. Anthony's life is important for us not just because of that story of extreme obedience, but because of what he went on to do. St. Anthony sold all that he had, and he went and became a monk in the wilderness, He went and lived in a cave. You've maybe heard some of these stories of saints who lived off by themselves, who followed the path of solitude, who followed the path of prayer, who followed the path of kind of what we would call extreme self-control. He went and lived out in a cave, and for 15 years, he survived on a diet of bread and water. Anybody want to volunteer for that kind of an austere life? Well, St. Anthony inspired men to follow in his example, and these guys became known as the Desert Fathers. There's lots of stories about the wisdom that they um, discovered out there in the wilderness, and oftentimes the stories about the Desert Fathers are kind of full of these little, um, uh, like, wise sayings. For instance, someone once asked one of the Desert Fathers, Uh, They came out with the, I think it was the governor or the ruler. People would go out into the wilderness to see these people, right? Kind of like a curiosity, but also because they had a reputation for wisdom. And so they brought this ruler into the wilderness, and they said to the, the desert father, Father, say something that will edify the ruler. And the desert father looked out of his cave, you know, sunken in cheeks, and he said, If he is not edified by my silence... He will not be edified by my words. 
Those kind of things, right? These proverbial sayings, that's what the Desert Fathers were known for. But I use their example for you this morning for this reason. These were men who went out into the wilderness not to escape something. They didn't go into the wilderness to take a vacation, to take a break from life. None of us would do that, right? We went on a vacation last summer, and we went out um, to Colorado and to South Dakota, and we went to a place called the Badlands. I don't know if you've ever been to the Badlands, but it's not the kind of place you take a nice, comfortable vacation. The desert is not a place to escape anything in. The desert, the wilderness, is a place of combat. That's what the desert fathers knew. They went into the wilderness to do combat with the devil. And in doing that, they were simply following the example of your Lord, who also went into the desert, not to retreat from anything, not to get away and to have some nice time for self-care and calm, cool reflection, but he went into the wilderness to do battle. That's the glory of this Sunday, that you have one who fights for you, that you have a Lord who doesn't say, well, if you're off on a, you know, a nice tropical island, I'll come and be with you there. Or if you're off in a nice you know, uh, cabin retreat in the, in the mountains, I'll come with you there. No, we have a Lord, Jesus Christ, who is with us in the very worst of places, who comes not to take care of himself, not to retreat from us, but who comes to rescue us from the wilderness. Jesus led by the Spirit into the wilderness for this purpose, to be tempted by the devil. Jesus goes out there like a hunter, right? He goes out there looking for a fight. He goes out there looking for what St. Peter calls the lion who prowls around, seeking whom he may devour. But Jesus is not the kind of Lord who gets afraid. He is not timid. He is not, well, he's not weak, He is the valiant one who fights for you. And that is what we see in this gospel reading. Jesus' temptation is not somehow a mistake. It's not like our temptations where, oh, we want to avoid it at all costs. No, Jesus goes to be tested. He goes to do battle with the devil. And like the hunter, he goes and finds his prey. Why? Why would Jesus do this? Why wouldn't he, you know, go up from his baptism? That's what immediately precedes the temptation. Why wouldn't he go from his baptism and just go back to his house? Why wouldn't he just go back and, you know, call his disciples into his house and lead a nice, calm, peaceful, normal life? Because we need a Savior who rescues us from the evil one. And Jesus comes to do precisely that. Long before this episode, the Lord spoke in the Garden of Eden, I will put enmity between you and the woman. I will put conflict, Satan, between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. But one day he, the seed of the woman, will crush your head. This is what Jesus has come to do, to crush the head of the evil one. Not just to deal with kind of surface level stuff, but to do away with evil and its source once and for all. So he goes into the wilderness, in his own words, to bind up the strong man. I don't know if you remember that parable of Jesus. He puts it this way. He says, before anyone can plunder the house of a strong man, he must first bind him up. 
And only then, only then can he take all the goods out of his house. In the wilderness, in his temptation, Jesus confronts the devil to bind him up so that he might set us free from the devil's hold. He is doing precisely what he said long ago in the Garden of Eden. He is doing out there in the wilderness what Adam did not do, what Israel in their wilderness wanderings could not do. He is resisting the devil and all his works and all his ways. He is closing the mouth of the lion. He is shutting him up and he is showing him once and for all that there is a man, that there is a son of Eve, there is a son of Adam who has come and who is not captive to the devil's lies. Jesus goes into the wilderness for this reason, to deliver the world from the devil's hold. And that might seem like kind of, uh, well, maybe that was important long ago, but what does that have to do with us anymore? Because we have kind of a very low sense of the devil, don't we? We hear stories about St. Anthony and about these old guys long ago who had visions of demons, and we think, well, it's probably just because they were living in the wilderness and eating bread and only drinking a little bit of water. And that may be, but perhaps they also had a greater sense of the influence of evil on our world. That the devil is not somehow, you know, only a figment of our pious imaginations. That he's not just a little guy who dances on your shoulder. But that he is, like St. Peter says, a roaring lion who seeks those to devour. If we are going to have a sense of the wonder of Christ's power of his victory, then we also have to realize that the devil is not just some myth That he's not just an idea that's cooked up by the church to scare little children or to scare old women. But that he actually, he actually is your enemy. That he seeks you, that he prowls for you every day, that he sets traps before you. And I'm not, again, trying to just scare you to get into your mind and to freak you out a little bit. But I want you to realize that there is a fight that is going on. Lent is a time to discover again that we are in the midst of a war. I don't mean some far-off country at war with some other country. I can't remember the names of who's at war anymore these days. But the battle is right in your own home. The battle is right here in our own church. The battle is even right here within each and every one of us. For the devil comes to separate you from the Lord Jesus. And the glory of this Sunday, the glory of this gospel reading is that you have a Lord who won't let that happen. For us fights the valiant one whom God himself elected. He's by our side upon the plain with weapons of the spirit and to him, to the Lord Jesus, belongs the battlefield. So I'm not trying to freak you out or to scare you, to make you desperately flail about and wonder, well, where's my enemy? But you do need to know that the devil is at work in the world, that he sows his discord, that he sows his lies wherever he can and wants to devour you. But today we are called to take our place along with Jesus. For not only has Christ come to conquer our enemy, but he has also come to raise you up into his army, to make you instead of a victim of the devil's lies, to make you a warrior in his army army. Today is a call to arms, if you will. And if you are going to be part of the army of Christ, if you are going to be part of the church militant, as you are, 
Well, then you should know a little bit about your enemy, don't you think? Jesus is like a scout in the wilderness there. He's going out and he shows us who can watch from a distance, who can watch kind of from the safety of our own place. We can see how the devil will come. We can see his tactics. And in each of the temptations, you see a different tactic that the devil will try to use, not just against Jesus, but also against those who belong to Jesus. And I want to focus in with you this morning just on one of those tactics of of the devil. We could spend a long time on each of the temptations, and maybe next year I'll do a different one, but this year I want you just to focus on this second temptation that the devil puts to Jesus. You heard it put this way. The devil took him up again onto the temple, the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. What is the temptation here that the devil's putting to Jesus? What is the tactic that he is trying to, you know, influence our Lord with? What should we be on the guard against? I want to rephrase it for you this morning. I think the devil is saying quite simply this, be someone really impressive. Do something really special. Do something that's going to set yourself apart so that everybody can see, after all, if you threw yourself off of the pinnacle of the temple, everybody would see it, right? Do something really special, Jesus, so that everybody can see just how extraordinary you are, just how different and how wonderful and how grand you are. Let everybody see it with their own eyes. Be really impressive. What's the temptation in that? Doesn't that sound like a good thing? Isn't that what we're told to do? Go out and make a huge difference in the world. Go out and be someone extremely special and wonderful and extraordinary and do great, wonderful things. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Isn't it something that Jesus would want to do? To show everyone his power? To show everyone his wonder? But he resists the devil's temptation. For we are not called to follow the Lord Jesus simply because of what we see with our eyes, but we are called to follow him by faith. The pattern of discipleship is not looking around and seeing really impressive stuff that God is always doing, glorious, wonderful, extraordinary, supernatural things, signs and wonders all around us, but to see in the ordinary things God's extraordinary gifts, to see in the ordinary details of our life what God is calling us to do. The devil will try the same tactic on you. If you're really a Christian, then you should expect wonderful, grand, awesome things. You should expect really great movements of the Spirit in your life. You should expect the church to go from power to power to power. But what do we see in the world? The church is not highly regarded. The wisdom of God is not greatly respected by everyone. In fact, it's seen as kind of foolish and backwards. And if we're looking for really impressive stuff, extraordinary things, show me the congregation that has 700 members. That's the one I want to be part of. Show me the church where everyone, if you go to that church, you get a lot of respect in the community. That's the one I want to be a part of. Those are not the kind of ways that the Spirit works in your life, just as they were not the way that the Spirit was at work in our Lord Jesus. 
He walked through this world looking no different than his other disciples. He walked through this world sounding no different than his other disciples. There was nothing about him that would make everybody say, oh, he's really special. Oh, he's really extraordinary. Oh, he's really wonderful. And yet, hidden in that weakness, hidden in the weakness of his flesh was the power of God, was the eternal Son of God, and hidden in his cross Concealed under the shame, concealed under the brutality, concealed under all of that was our salvation, was the victory over the devil. For there in the cross of Jesus, the serpent's head was crushed. There in the cross of Jesus, his blood was poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. So know the devil's tactics. Know how he will tempt you to look for wonderful, extraordinary things instead of the ordinary and normal path of life. And don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when the church goes through this world looking kind of ordinary, looking kind of normal. Don't be shocked that Jesus doesn't cause mass changes in the world. Now, he may, he could, after all, he did lots of great miracles in his ministry, things that made people say, wow, that's impressive. But those things were done on his time and in his way. And the normal course of life for Christ and for his Christians is to walk by faith. To walk by faith. There's nothing wrong with you if you don't experience great, wonderful revelations of God. It just means you're normal. (laughs) There's nothing strange if our church is not growing by leaps and bounds and we're adding 3,000 and 5,000 and 20,000 souls every day. It just means we're normal. This is the normal way that God works in the world. Do not be shocked by it. Do not be surprised by it. But rejoice in the normal. Take pleasure in the ordinary things to which God has called you. For that is the path of victory. We see in Jesus both the devil's tactics, but we also see the tactics of victory. We see the victor's tactics in him so that we learn to fight like Jesus did. When Jesus was Uh, tempted in the wilderness. He didn't flail about wildly. He didn't act like something strange was happening to him. He didn't fight like a desperate man, but he fought like a well-trained soldier. It is written. Again, it is written. It is written. Here's what it looks like to be a well-trained soldier, to have the word of God, to know the word of God, to use the word of God. To speak those words back to God that he has spoken first to you in prayer. To speak those words of God to your friends, to your family, to your children, to your parents, to anyone who will will listen to you. To walk in the path of humble obedience. To be patient and wait on the Lord. This is what it looks like to win the victory. The devil wants you to flail about desperately. He wants Christians to kind of swing wildly back and forth to be what I might call a binge Christian, right? Well, I better do some extraordinary thing this week, and then next week I'll do some other extraordinary thing. No, walk the normal path. Walk the calm path. Walk the path that our Savior himself walked, and you will find that in that path there are tremendous blessings. In that path there is the road laid out for you to victory, For Christ has come to bring his victory also to his disciples. He has come to conquer the devil and all his works and all his ways and to bring you to a share in his victory. To him be the glory now and always. Amen.